0: Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor is here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Come on now. Let's go, Harbor Church. Come on, make some noise. Am I on now? Can you hear me now? You can hear me. All right. Listen, it's going to be an outdoor service. There's going to be a few distractions. You're going to have to bear with them. You made it all the way out here. Somebody say, I made it. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Say, I made it. I'm here. There you go. Now turn to the other neighbor and ask him, are you ready? Come on now. I want to know if you guys are ready this morning. We got one mega service for everybody. Y'all came out. Make some noise. Let me know you're awake. We've got, I want to say Katie Rose, where's she at? We got 16 people getting baptized today. Is that right? Let's make some noise for them. Come on. You guys got a lot of reasons to be excited. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you made it out. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here at Harbor Church. And, uh, man, it is so cool that we get to do this every once in a while, just get everybody together. Uh, We run four services normally Thursday night and then three on Sunday. And so it's cool to get to see people that we don't normally get to see. And uh, it's cool for us just to, to remember, man, God's doing stuff, doing work in other places. That, uh, that we don't always get to see. There's some of our friends, some of our neighbors. I saw some people talking. They're like, you go here? I didn't know you go here. When do you go here? Like, I come on Thursday. Oh, no, I come on Sunday at the second service. So you have friends and coworkers and maybe even family members that go to Harvard you didn't know about. I'm so glad you guys get to see each other and hang out a little bit. So it's cool. It's very cool. And uh, I don't get to preach four times this weekend. So I have to do... <laughs> I don't know if I'm excited about that. I do like that I'm having the energy. But then I was like, do I get to make a message four times as long? And they're like, Pastor, people have such bad ADD. If you don't make this a short one, I don't know if there's a way I can help with that wind. I really don't. I might have to switch to a handheld if he just keeps doing this. I don't know if there's any way I can help you guys with that wind. But I could just stand like this the whole time and talk <laughs> into, into it. Oh, man. All right. I'll turn off the other mic, and we'll see what we can do with this. Guys, um, as I was saying, you guys have such bad ADD that if I preach long, uh, man, I, hey, listen, I just call it like I see it. You take after your pastor. So, like, every bird and breeze and anything that's going on is going to distract you. We have a few minutes together for me to share something with you from God's Word. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Just, just try really, really hard for the next few minutes not to distract the people around you. I know there's kids and there's all this other stuff going on. Just try really hard to pay attention because the message I want to share with you guys is actually one of the very first messages that I ever, one of the first passages anyways, that I ever preached out of for Harbor Church. Um, It's the first one that I remember. I know it's not the very first one that I preached to Harbor, but it's the first message that I remember, the first passage I remember talking to our little church about. And we were, uh, this is six years ago, we were just meeting in a clubhouse. And uh, prior to that, I had gone on a missions trip to Africa. And um, a couple guys in here were with me, Ken was with me, Richie was with me, and um, we were in Africa, I was a youth pastor at another church on the Cape, and and God just kind of just really just wrecked me on that trip, and that's where he planted the idea in my heart of stepping out and planting a church in Hyannis, and um, he used this story to inspire me, and while I was in Africa, they asked me, said, hey, would you want to get up and preach, um, here while well, you're here and I was like yeah I'd love to and they're like hey you have to make it half as long because we have to interpret it so like you say it and then interpret it so this is a half message just for you guys and it, it's back to a story that man God just really used to, to change my life on that mission strip idea that mission strip to Africa laid the groundwork for Harbor Church And uh, I I hope to tell you guys in the next few weeks about our next missions trip that we as a church will be taking to Africa as well. So that should be coming up very soon, just so you can be looking forward to it. But the last time I was there, God put a story from 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, I'll read it to you. Here's what's going on in this story. It's an Old Testament story. And there's a king uh, named Joram, and he's not a very good king. He, uh, he screws around a lot. He doesn't really serve God like he's supposed to. His dad uh, didn't set the best example for him, worshiped a lot of idols, but uh, he becomes king. His dad dies, and he steps in to become king, and when he does, one of his enemy kings, the he's the king of Israel, and, and Israel was supposed to follow God, and God had blessed them when they followed him, but they had walked away, mostly because their king had walked away, and then and then when the king dies and his son takes over, one of their enemies, the Moabites, decides, nah, he's not, he's not playing nice with the Israelites anymore. And so they kind of go to war. And it says, after Ahab's death, this is in 2 Kings chapter 3, verse 5, after Ahab's death, that was the first king, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Joram, he's the new king of Israel, he's the son that becomes king. So King Joram promptly mustered the army of Israel and marched from Samaria. On the way, he sent a message to King Jehoshaphat of Judah And Jehoshaphat's a good king. And Judah and Israel had kind of split apart. They're they're both Israelites, but they had split into two kingdoms. And the king of Moab, uh, he said, hey, he's Jehoshaphat. The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you join me in battle against him? And Jehoshaphat said, yeah, of course I will. You and I are as one. My troops are your troops. My horses are your horses. And then Jehoshaphat asked him, hey, bro, what route are we going to take? How are we going to get there? How are we going to go fight the Moabites? Well... Joram said we're going to attack from the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Edom and his troops joined in with Joram and Jehoshaphat, and all three of the armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness for 7 days. But there was no water or men for their an- there was no water for their men or their animals. So here's the story in a nutshell, you have 3 kings join up their armies to go fight what is the bad guys, the Moabite army. And they say, hey, let's go Let's go fight these guys. Let's go through, let's come around this pass through the desert. Let's go through the desert, and we'll come in behind them, and that's how we'll defeat them. And they, they make this plan, and they start walking their armies with their horses and their chariots. And they get seven days into this journey, and they realize it hasn't rained in a while. And there is no water here anywhere. And seven days in, they've already used up all their reserves, and now they're standing out in the desert, and they're about to die. And I picked this because I didn't know how hot today would be, and I was like, "Well, it's perfect illustration, you know." So they're out there; it's hot. <clears throat> they've run out of they've run out of water, and they sit there and they go, "How how are we going to get through this? How are we going to How are we going to live? We've dragged our armies out out into the wilderness to fight, and we're not even going to make it to the fight." And I think God put this message on my heart because I feel like there's some people here right now. You're going through a wilderness. There's somebody listening to this message right now. You're going through this valley, this desert time, and you've run out of resources. You've run out of supplies. You've been thirsty for a long time now, and maybe we're not talking physical here. Maybe we're talking emotionally. You've gone through a desert lately. Maybe for some of you, it's this is a mental, a mental journey you've gone on, and you've depleted all your resources. Some of you looking at me right now, I can't tell if you're squinting because of the sun or if this is, like, really hitting home, but some of you, like... You, you've, you've had a hard, hard journey. Maybe it's a few months. Maybe it's been a few years. Maybe it's just been the last couple days. But you find yourself exhausted. And what I, what I love about this is these guys didn't ask God once. God, do you want us to go to war? You do? Where do you want us to go? How should we do it? They didn't ask God for anything. But then they find themselves in a the desert, and you know who they blame? Yeah, I figure a few of you would at least figure that out. Like, no, who they blame God. They're like God, why did why did you bring us out here to die? And I'm reading I've read that passage several times I'm like God's it ain't God's fault. Like you just got yourself lost in the desert and now it's God's fault? I took a trip with my wife to Europe and uh, we rented a car. I don't know if you ever rent a car in Europe, it's on the it's the steering wheel's on the wrong side of the car and they drive on the wrong side of the road and And I was like, okay, Kaylee, I don't, I mean, this is, I don't know where we're at. I don't know where we're going. And I don't have, like, I was like, man, I'm doing good just to be on the wrong side of the car driving on the wrong side of the road. I can't be looking up, like, street addresses. You got to navigate. And Kaylee has motion sickness so that if she looks down while we're driving, she throws up. And she's like, I can't do it. You're going to have to, you're just going to have to use your phone and GPS it. And of course, my phone's like uh no signal like recalculating like all the time like i'm driving in the middle of i have no clue what you guys don't understand. Some of you haven't don't, can't appreciate this situation. It's like people everywhere, and the signs don't say words. They're just pictures of thousands of things, and there's like 20 signs on one pole, and I can't tell if I'm going down the wrong way or if this is like a bike-only lane. At one point, it said Tories only. I'm like, what is that? Am I a Tory? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Like, what are we doing? Ba-? And she's like, I don't know. I'm going to throw up. And I'm like, this is the worst. <laughs> And, of course, my, my phone app is, like, redirecting. Like, it's, like, just waiting. And I would get through a rotary about five times, and then it would be, like, oh, yeah, that one. You just take that turn. I'm, like, That's, this is perfect. When I get lost, I don't know about you guys, when I can't find my way, I tend to get a little bit embarrassed, a little bit frustrated. I'm mad at myself. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm imagining that every other driver on the road is, like, look at this idiot. Look at this idiot right here. And they probably are. If it's half of you guys, they probably are doing that. Like, look at this moron, doesn't know where he's going. I get embarrassed, I get frustrated, and I think spiritually when we get out into a place where we don't know where to go next, uh, maybe maybe your reaction isn't frustration, maybe your a- reaction is depression. Some of you, when you don't know what to do in life, when you get you get a doctor's diagnosis you don't know what to do with, you got, you got laid off from work, or when the bills don't seem to be paid the way that you w- we were hoping, or a child is is making decisions that you don't want or that you don't think is best for their life. When things come up and you've run out of options on what to do, how do you react? How do you handle it? Much like what these guys do, we tend to blame God. We tend to go, God, where are you at? These guys are in this situation because they hadn't involved God. They're in the situation that they're in because they never involved God, but then they wanted God to bail them out. Okay, there's nobody here, apparently. You're like, no, I ask God for everything. I walk in prayer daily with him and never make decisions contrary to his word. Okay. <clears throat> you know, it still counts as church, and it's still lying, even if you're outside. Um, I don't know how you respond. I do know that that there's got to be some people here who have run out of resources or You've, you've spent some time in a dry desert of a place. Maybe that's how you feel about your marriage right now. Maybe that's what you feel about the future. I think a day or two in, when they ran out of water, they kept thinking, we'll find water tomorrow. We'll find water tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow. And tomorrow it came and it just got hotter. And tomorrow got tougher. And the next day got tougher. And now they've reached a point of exhaustion and they're ready to die and then they say, okay, God, now come bail us out. Now, the cool thing about the God that we serve is he's not like us. He's very patient and merciful. But I would, I would throw this out to some of you right now. If you are actively going down a path that is not God's best for you, don't wait until you've completely run out, starved to death, or on the verge of dying before you call out and say, God, help me. Right now, right where you're at, Just use this message as a wake-up call and go, man, I've been making some choices I shouldn't be making. I've been been pursuing a war path that was never God's plan for me. I'm all ready. I look at something. I'm ready. I'm going to do it. I'm going to take it on. I'm ready to do this. I'm I'm, I'm there. Is that from God or is that from you? Because if God's not in it, don't be surprised if you don't find yourself in a desert. Now, for all of you who have already found yourself in a desert, let's continue on with the story. Let us remember that we're like when you hear me pick on these three guys uh, that's us if if you want to be god in the story you misread the bible you and i are almost always the people who screw things up okay we are the dumpster fires the three kings that's us and remember isaiah 53:6 isaiah 53 said that all we like sheep have gone astray that's everybody here every single one of us your you, you you and your family me every single person here have wandered away from God's best. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus, laid on him, the iniquities of us all. God put all of our walking away on Jesus because he knows we have a tendency to take the path that we shouldn't. So they ask a question in verse number 10 of 2 Kings chapter 3. They ask, what should we do? The Lord has brought us out here the king of Moab said. He brought us out here just to defeat us. God brought us out here just to punish us, just to kill us. Once again, God didn't bring him out there, but that's how they looked at the situation. I don't know how many times you've leaned into what it is that God has for you, but Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, if you acknowledge him, he'll direct your path. So if you're looking for that GPS system to never end up in the desert, because some of you heard me describe that, and you're like, yeah, I want to avoid that, God literally says the way to avoid those situations, those times, is to submit yourself to him. Almost as if, though, he gave you a roadmap. Almost as if, though, he has a plan for your life that you stubbornly, defiantly ignore. And yet he goes, hey, I got better for you than what you've been doing. It's kind of quiet out here today. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you guys are, if you're with me, if I, if my mic cut out, if I have to start over again. Here we go. Verse 11. King Jehoshaphat of Judah, he asked, is there no prophet of God? Is there nobody that's from the Lord that's with us? If there's somebody that we can ask what the Lord would have us do. And one of King Joram's officers replied, yeah, there's Elisha. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. And Jehoshaphat said, "Yes, yes, the Lord speaks through him." So the king of Israel, the king of Jehosh and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom, they all went to consult with Elisha. I love this, and there's a whole message here about being the kind of person that, when everybody else is in trouble and they're looking for a believer, that your name should be the one that pops up. Anybody else notice that? Here's three kings. They have all that they could ever want, and yet they get to a place where they're going, Is there anybody who knows the Lord? Is there anybody in the house? Come on, Harvard Church. Is there anybody in the house that knows the Lord? Is there somebody? Is there somebody in my family that can point me to what God's best is? Is there somebody in my workplace that knows what God wants for me? Do you understand the question they're asking? That's the same people around you every day. They're going to get to a place where they're going to ask the question, is there anybody who knows God that could help me out? Will your name pop up? Will your face come to their mind? Are you living in a way where when they talk, they go, oh, yeah, he walks with the Lord. He'll be able to tell us what to do. That's a whole message I don't even have time to preach, so that was a freebie. Here we go. I, I want you to understand, some of you would sit here and go, okay, well, if the, if, Pastor, if what you're telling me, if I'm in a tough spot, then I have to go find me in Elisha. Well, no, 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 no. this is the Old Testament. You know what you and I have? When we want to hear a word from the Lord, we don't have to go find the prophet. We have the recorded word of the Lord right here. Unlike all other times of history, you've got it. Heck, most of you've got a cell phone. You could have like 83 translations of the word of the Lord right there. You have an amazing access to it. This is what it says in, in uh, 2 in Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says that all scripture is inspired by God. Every single, every single verse in this book is inspired by God and is profitable or useful to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives, and to correct us when we're wrong. And it teaches us to do what is right. I guess the question would be, how much are you actually in your word? I'm just going to let that sit there because you guys aren't, aren't really you know, with me yet, I don't think. I haven't started preaching yet. I'm just trying to get warmed up. They needed to go find Elisha. Some of you were told that you have to have a priest or a pastor, and that's not true. You have God's word. Now, my job as your pastor is to is to continue to digest this and help lead us as a as a church, but you have access to this outside of me. You should be in your word, not just on Sunday mornings. You can be in this all the time, finding direction, finding insight from God. You don't have to be tied to religion. The church is supposed to supplement what you're doing on your own. If the only time you ever hear God's word or talk to somebody who has a walk with God is when you show up at church, man, you need to be doing something else Monday through Saturday. You got to supplement some of that, guys. Pastor Ron, I seem to have run out of water. Can you run in and get me uh, a water, some of that in there, please? Thank you. Um, This is what they do. They get to Elisha, and Elisha literally says in verse 13, Why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel, Go to your pagan prophets, the ones your father and mother used. But King Joram of Israel said, No, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here, only to be defeated by the king of Moab. As surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Now bring me somebody who can play the harp. Pretty sure I pretty sure I asked for a drink of water, Pastor Rung. All right. So we're, uh, we're looking at a story where these three kings find themselves in the desert with no water. They run out. They don't have anything for their horses. They don't have anything for their men. So not only is their cavalry about to die, but all of their soldiers are about to die, and they're heading to a battle. They're not even thinking about the battle anymore. They're just thinking, can we just live through today? So they go find the man of God who doesn't want anything to do with them. He's like, You guys are a bunch of pagans. You don't even, you don't even believe in in the God that I believe in. And they're like, Well, well, Jehoshaphat does. And he goes, Elisha goes, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even talk to you guys. And then he says, Hey, well, bring me somebody who plays the harp. And while the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. It's the only time in the Bible I've really found that. Now, King Saul liked to harp, but King Saul wasn't a great guy. This is Elisha going, hey, I want some harp music to, like, zone out to. I mean, I don't know what kind of harp music this is. Can you imagine if, like, Elisha's got, like, a soundtrack in heaven of, like, heavy metal harp. Just somebody, like, I don't even know how you would, like, I don't even know how you would air harp it, but this is me air harping. Okay, Whatever, our brother, I mean, Elisha just loves the harp, okay? So anyways, he hears the harp music, and God, God uh, speaks to him. And this is what he says. He says, this is what the Lord says. Dig a valley, dig this valley that you're in, dig it full of ditches. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley that you're in will be filled with water. You have plenty for yourselves, for your cattle, for your other animals. But by the way, he goes, this is only a simple thing for the Lord. For he's also going to make you victorious over the army of Moab. You'll conquer the best of their towns, even their fortified cities. You'll cut down the best of their trees. You'll stop up their springs. You'll ruin all their good land with stones. The next day at about that time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. It's a small little miracle that most people have never even heard of in the Bible. Three kings stuck in the desert. Three kings stuck in the desert with no resources. They're out of, out of hope, and they finally turn to God. And when they get to God, I want, you to, I want you to understand what happens. They go to Elisha, and they say, what would God have us do? How will God save us from dying in the desert? And the first thing that God says is, dig this valley full of ditches. Now let me ask you a question. What do you do when you ask for water and you get a shovel instead? No, 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 no. Oh, listen, all you spiritual warriors, let me talk to you for a second. You all know the answer. Do you understand that they're in the desert, haven't seen water in a week. They're on the verge of dying and they're told dig can I actually get a real cup of water? The difference between Ron and Katie. Now this is this is just gorgeous. It's packed full of ice. The condensation's running down the side of it. It's cold. Man, that's good. Nothing like being hot, stand out in the sun, wanting a drink of water. Now, listen to some of you are like, "Yeah, this is a great message. It's so hot." They were in the desert, Cape Cotter, It's 70 degrees today. You're fine. Try try being 115 and not seeing water for a week. And this is what that's where these guys are. And God's answer to them was, "Hey, dig some holes." Here's what I want to tell you, and then I'll be done. Sometimes when we're going through it, in the middle of it, God's answer makes no sense. Sometimes when we're in the deepest valley that we've ever been in, they're in this valley of Edom that is, it is so hot and so dry, they're just convinced this is, their, this is where they're going to die. And when they, in their desperation, they get down, and they say, God, save us. And God says, okay, here's a shovel. I don't want a shovel, God. I want a glass of water. I want a drink. God, why don't you answer my prayers? Why don't you give me what I want? And he says, hey, where's your faith? You didn't have the faith to ask me to get into this mess, but you have the faith to ask me to get out of it? Show me. Here's a shovel. Can you imagine trying to go back and lead your soldiers by saying, hey, here's the answer. Dig a hole. You know what I would have thought? You mean my grave? Because if I don't get water soon, I'm dead. And your answer to me is dig a hole? How is it that God sometimes can ask you for a display of faith when what you're asking him for is a miracle? Because here's the thing. If all God ever did was show up with a glass of water every time you asked for it, He's not the God of your life. He's a genie that you make wishes from every once in a while. So a lot of times what God wants to do is he wants to teach you where real faith and real power comes from. And so he says here, take a shovel and dig a hole and believe, put your hope in me. Trust that what I'm calling you to do is the best thing for you. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense when God, when God tells us, hey, you're going to have to trust me. And when I, when I want access to your time, give me your time. And when I want access to your treasure, tithe your treasure. And when I want access to, to your talents, give your talents up. When I want access to your testimony, make sure you share whatever it is that I'm doing in your life with others. I don't want to give that to God because that's, that scares me. I don't want to give up my time because I I feel like I don't have enough as it is. I don't want to give God any of my money because I I don't have enough as it is. I don't want to give up my talents for free to serve others because that's, that's how I think I'm valuable. I don't want to share my testimony because that might not be how people would receive it well and like me back. So I have all of the reasons why I don't trust God. Now, I want you guys to notice, God doesn't, it says you're not going to see wind or rain. Now, if if you hand me a shovel and God says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some water, and I look and it's just these dark storm clouds, man, I am digging. I'm going to town. I'm like, all right, said sending rain. But when there's no rain, it's just bright sun. And he says, I'm bringing some water. I'm doubting. Now, here's the cool thing. The water never comes from the sky. It just starts flowing from Edom down. Now, Here's how I would like to end this. Some of us have enough faith to dig a little hole. All right, God, one shovel full. You know what you're going to get? You're going to get that much water. Now, that'll keep you alive. You got a shovel full of water the next morning because your faith was one shovel full worth. Some guys dug a foxhole. You know, they dug a trench big enough for themselves they got to have a bath the next day. I want Harbor Church to be the kind of people that when God says, here's a shovel, trust me more than you trust what you see, we start digging swimming pools. I want us to be the kind of people that say, God, whatever you've got for us, even though it's scary, even though it doesn't make sense to me, I know that you're bigger than all of this. See, this is what the Bible says in Psalms 100 verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. If he's going to look out for anything the same way these kings are looking out for their men and their horses, God looks at you and I and he says, all of these are mine. So you think you want water? What do you think I want for you? I actually want more for you than what you want for you. God says, all you're thinking about is getting through this desert, through this valley, He goes, you're stuck in this valley thinking you're going to die. Yea, though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I am with you. And then he says, I'm able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything you could ask or think of. So when you're asking for water to make it through tomorrow, I'm going to fill every hole in your life with water, more water than you can handle, and then I'm going to defeat the Moabites for you. See, not only did they get rescued from their desert, not only did they get rescued from their desert, but they also got a victory over their enemies. It was more than they asked for because that's how God shows up. We're all praying for a miracle. We all want a miracle, but very few of us want to do the work, the step of faith that's required. You know, if you study miracles in the Bible, Every miracle that I can find is preceded by an act of obedience. Cast your nets on that side of the boat. Then they get this miracle of fish. Get out of the boat, and then he walks on water. God gives us something to do, not because you and I earn our salvation. Jesus earned our salvation. Jesus is the one that did everything on him. When God asks us for an act of obedience, it's not because he needs us. It's because we need to learn how to take a step of faith. It's because you and I struggle with that. The prophet Isaiah says it this way, they who wait on the Lord, this is Isaiah 40, verse 31, they who wait on the Lord, that means put their trust in the Lord, that means find hope in God, those people are the ones that renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. So how do we do that? How do I, how do I put my faith in God? How do I find this thing you're talking about, Pastor? Well, for some of you, that requires you in this moment to be honest and admit that you're not a good enough God for your life. I'm looking at a sea of people. There are people sitting here in this parking lot right now who you are still the God of your life. If you think that you have the best plan, that you have the best resources, that you have the miracles deep down inside of you, you will always put yourself as the God of your life and you will not be surrendered to Christ. But if you will humble yourself and admit that you can't take away your sin and that you can't solve your problems and you actually surrender to the God who died for you, will you actually invite Jesus Christ in? That's salvation. Not only will he forgive you of your sins, but he'll go exceedingly abundantly above and beyond that. He'll not only forgive you of your sins, but he'll have a home in heaven for you. When you take your last breath here on earth, you can enter into eternity with him. That's how our God works. Now, I'd imagine that some of you clapping are the ones who would say, I've already done that. I've already accepted Christ. I've already put my faith in him. Okay, then let me ask you a question. How big's your hole? Oh, man, I love me some God. Oh, you do? How much faith are you you displaying right now? Because God said, hey, even though it's tough, even though you're in a valley, even though it's scary, I want you to dig. And digging never makes sense when what you're saying is God sent some rain. He goes, no, dig a hole. And in our faith journey, a lot of times God's saying, hey, I need you to trust me that what I want to do with your time is better than what you want to do with your time. And where I want to allocate your resources is better than where you want to allocate your resources. And what I want to do through your talents is better than what you want to accomplish through your talents. And the thing I've done in your life to give you a testimony, I could actually use your story to change other people's lives more than you can keep your story to yourself and save yourself, quote, unquote, embarrassment. A perfect example of that is these people that are about ready to get baptized. They're going public with their faith. That's part of their testimony. That's them saying, hey, God's made a change in my life. I want people to know it. That's an act of obedience. That is a step of faith. Well, what good, and you could ask this question. People have asked it. What good is it to get dunked in water? What are you doing? I'm digging a hole. God told me to take a step of faith, and I don't get how it works, but I I, I have to grow my faith some way. If God made it all just glasses of water every time I asked, I wouldn't learn to trust him. I would just become more and more demanding. So if God tells me to go public and get dunked underwater in some type of display of my faith, then it's not about me making it make sense. It's about me saying, God, whatever you want for my life. And some of you need to learn to step into that. So as the band comes back, I want to close with these two verses. If I'm honest with you, church, I didn't always have an easy time trusting God. I still don't. Some days it's okay. Some days it's really difficult. Romans 12, 12 says this, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That's how we get through these valleys. That's how we tackle tomorrow. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Pastor, you keep talking about this, but I don't know. I don't even know how I can find that hope. Well, if you jump a couple more chapters into Romans, Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope, the God of hope, where real hope comes from, may that God fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The God of hope can fill you with the Holy Spirit so that your whole life is bound up in hope. What that looks like is that it looks like somebody who surrendered and said, God, I'm going to trust you more than I trust anything else. I described a desert. Maybe that's not how you feel your life is today, but I guarantee you there's a day coming where you're not going to know what to do and you're not going to have the answers. What if right now, instead of getting to those places and then searching desperately for a God that you've ignored, what if you were already walking with God? What if you had already made it a habit of digging so that when he says there's rain coming tomorrow, you've already, man, you've already got some holes dug. You've already been displaying your faith. You've dug holes in your family, in your workplaces, in your community, in your marriage, with your friends. You're the kind of person who's ready to see God show up in a big, powerful way. Well, it's going to require you to start saying yes when everything inside of you wants to say no. Here's what I want you to do, church. Stand up. Come on. Get on your feet. In this moment, I believe that God's got a shovel he wants to hand you. He's got an area he's telling you to trust him in, an area that scares you in a way that doesn't make sense to you. He's saying, hey, I want you to go be nice to that person you hate. How's that going to help, God? Hey, trust me. It's like digging a hole. Hey, I want you to give, even though you're not sure how you're going to receive what's coming back. How's that going to work? Trust me. I believe in this moment right now, he's saying, hey, I want you to give me access to your life. And some of you, you've never done that, and you're, you're standing there wondering, what, what, what does that mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a believer? What does it really mean to buy into all this stuff? What it means is that you're trusting that the God of the universe, the one who died for you, has a better plan for your life than what you can find. So if in this moment you would just simply open your heart and receive him, some of you for the very first time receive him as the Lord, the Savior that you need. He would do that. He'd forgive you and save you. And I think if every single person here right now would take the next step of faith and say, God, where are you pushing me? to do something out of my comfort zone, to do something that scares me, to do something that would mean it'd have to be a miracle from you. Where are you calling me to? Right now in this moment, God, how can I take a shovel and dig a hole even though I'm scared? What, What would that look like for me? And I believe if you ask God, you beg God, you say, God, I'm trusting you more than I'm trusting everything else. Show me what to do. He will give you an area and it will scare you and it won't make a lot of sense. But if you'll take your shovel and you'll dig and you'll trust him, That's the God who shows up in miraculous ways. Let me pray over you, church. As you stand there, would you just pray quietly to yourself? Maybe ask God to do that work in your heart. Maybe come into your life for the very first time. Let you find the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. As I pray, you pray. Dearly Father, Lord God, we come before you, and we recognize, Lord, that there's many a day that we wander away from you. We charge headlong into... All kinds of our plans, and we don't really ask you, we don't really consider what you would have for us. So, Lord God, we ask now in this moment that you would forgive us. Many of the valleys that we find ourselves in, many of the struggles that we have, God, it's something you want to rescue us from. It's not your fault. It's ours, but yet you love us, and you're patient with us, and you're merciful to us. So in this moment... Lord God, I pray for the people who find themselves in a tough spot. Maybe it's something they did. Maybe it's it's nothing that they did. They just, Lord God, they're just persecuted. They're struggling. They, they're in a desert, and they've run out of water. Lord God, be with those people. Be with the brokenhearted right now. You said that your heart breaks for those who are hurting. So, God, we ask for your help for the people who are struggling. We ask for your grace and your mercy. God, we are praying right now in this moment that we would find the hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope that can only be found in you, Lord, that you would fill us with that. You said that if we would if we would turn to you, the God of hope, that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit and that we could abound in hope. So, Lord, we claim that today. God, I, I claim that in the name of Jesus, the people here that need to accept you as this as their savior for the very first time, God, I pray they would do that. And Lord, I pray for every person, every person that's out here for this service right now, that we would find hope in you and that we would we would use that that hope, that trust, that faith, that we would be inspired to to take a step forward and dig a hole, to 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 put our faith into action, to actually practice what it is that we we claim to believe. Lord, we know that that will result not only in growing closer to you, but that you would do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond whatever it is that we're asking for, because your plan is so much better. We trust this, and we claim this, and we believe this in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harperchurch.com slash give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.